What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to T3G. This is the Tangents Podcast, and today we're doing kind of a regular podcast, but also kind of a very different thing, something we've never done before. We're going to go ahead and do a live uh, reaction to DC Fandom, well, like the first chunk of it, and then uh, next week we're going to follow it up with probably a little more edited version of the same thing, and uh, we're going to be doing, like I said, reactions to the news and the, the panels and everything that's going on, and... Uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. Hope you enjoy. In breaking news, we've received reports of an explosion somewhere north of the We're city. We're still waiting for the police to confirm if there are any victims. This story is evolving rapidly. Please bear with us. We are just really loud. Boom. There was smoke everywhere. Emergency services have confirmed that they've discovered a body buried in the wreckage. We're still waiting for further details. International news an explosion rocked Gotham City earlier today. You're now able to confirm that billionaire philanthropist Bruce Wayne is dead. No man's land? No man's land. That would be good. Arkham No Man's Land? Arkham City No Man's Land? If you're watching this, it's gotta be. I'm dead. Although it's not Kevin Connor. Jason? No, other This message was automatically triggered when I destroyed the cave and everything it contained. We both know it won't take long for Gotham's criminals to realize the Batman is gone. And you can't count on the GCPD. Haven't trusted us since Jim died. Gotham will need its protectors more than ever. I'm leaving you the Belfry as base of operations. Some of the technology is outdated, but it has the gear you need and all of my files. That's Damien. That was Dick. I know you'll keep Gotham safe. Good luck. And goodbye. That's not Kevin Conroy's voice, though. Is it an Arkham book? Again? Batgirl, of course. Damien. Jason. Mm, yeah, see, I would have thought other Jason. Demon. Ooh, a 3D map. Fast travel. What's he gonna do? Teleport there? Oh no, I guess he Oh, what is this costume? God, it's not the stupid current one. That was a good look for him in your presence here. Fuck. The cloaking technology? Oh yeah, some shit might be out of date. It's, uh, it's definitely Arkham, because that's from uh, the Arkham Knight. The, the gliding thing. Oh, 
game. Gotham Knights. I was just gonna say it'll be a Gotham series. It's not about Arkham specifically. Yeah, Gotham Knights. Makes sense. But wait, he's not really no dead. Talks about them. Ooh, the owls. The Court of Owls. Not a whisper word is said. Oh yeah, there was a, a rhyme in the comic. For if you try to cross them, then... And he's not dead the because they took him. Talon. They took him. They took him and he's going to be a Talon. Fair enough. I'm Patrick Redding. I'm Flo Martin. We're both from Warner Brothers Games Montreal, and we're both thrilled to finally be able to show you Gotham Knights. You may be wondering why we chose to tell this story and focus on these characters. We wanted to shake up the status quo of Gotham City. We wanted to see what happens when you take away the safety of Batman's presence and then find out what happens. What happens when these heroes, the Bat Family, Nightwing, these guys Batman, must not read Red Hood and Robin have to DC step Comics up because and take on the role of the protectors of Gotham all the time. What's really exciting about Gotham Knights is that you, the player, will be able to grow these characters how you see fit. You get to see how you would step up and become Gotham's protector. You're not trying to become the new Batman. You're becoming your own badass superhero. And as a bonus, we brought gameplay footage. This is I swear to God, they don't read comics. From a recent build. They have no and idea how this all works. for you to see this. Take a look. I mean, it's it's it's. I mean, it's not Rockstar, so it's not a. Uh, it's was it not Rockstar? Am I crazy now? Whoever made the Arkham series. It wasn't. Uh, it's not them producing it, so it's not an Arkham game. But I can't imagine the gameplay is going to be that much different. I like the. That looks like it could be a mech. Belfry. Elliot Center is covered in ice. Whatever's causing this is localized. Oh, Elliot Center. Definitely the Elliot. Is happy. Hush. In best hurry. That's what the bike's for. Yeah, what is the bike for? It looks like it could be a mech. The, the, the front uh, spokes don't look like spokes, they look like arms. RC action. See Transformers. I mean, the game is. I mean, all units at Elliott Center. Air support in. inbound. Okay. Hostiles opening fire on oh, upper floors. The Air support, can you do a fly around? On it. It's not bad. Her, her uh, tape is weird. We need a way to get through that ice. We need to attach these guys from first. Wait. Looks like Freeze is back with vengeance. If he wants a fight. He'll get it. Cosmetics. Makes sense. Yeah, that looks to be more like the classic dish. That girl costume. What is this camera angle nonsense? Can you knock Ah. That's some jarring shit. Hold on. Better be it's like I'm I'm playing a third party uh, uh kind of smash them up. 
Right now, I'm playing Darksiders. Well, uh, third party, third person. Um, Montoya here. Heard you down there having some fun. But Fun's you can control one word the for it. Just a heads up, the chopper's under orders to fire on anything that moves inside. Why is her, her logo's missing? Now, if that's a cosmetic thing, storm is getting worse. You need to hurry. I'm gonna turn this down. Alfred's live, of course. Uh, if the cosmetics are in relation to like comic book stories, there was a comic book story during New Fifty Two, where she like uh, uh, quit the Bat Team basically, and she took off the logo. Because right now. I don't know if you can turn the camera manually. Because when it goes to the front, it doesn't look like the logo is yellow. It just looks like it's not... Like, it looks like the outline's there, but it's not filled in. If anyone asks, I meant to do that. I won't say a word. And that looks like it's an Arkham Knight Robin costume. Tours were still going on when Arkham. Was it Arkham Knight? Whichever the last Arkham game was. They didn't stand a chance. Unless it's supposed to be something... What the fuck? Oh, you can choose when it's a team... Okay. Okay. That's interesting. It's an interesting mechanic. It looks like it's a Red Robin. It's a play on the Red Robin costume. Which I'm okay with. But it's kind of weird looking. It's almost looking like it's trying to be Batman. Which makes sense because it's Damien. Bad guys can have friendly fire. No precision. This is interesting. This is an interesting game. Dad, you're it. This is interesting. So, I'm not... I mean, here's the thing. Will I play it? Of course. At some point, I will play it. Uh, I just don't know. I mean, I don't buy games day one kind of thing. It's not bad. And ironically, this uh, this background was randomly generated since I have my backgrounds on, on random. Uh, so we're just going to go back to the fandom site and it's probably going to play its little intro. Oh, no. It's I see the weather machine. Ready with the disruptor. That thing's drawing so much power. Yeah, I don't know. The costumes are weird. I mean, if obviously there's cosmetics because uh, the trailer had a completely different Batgirl costume and a completely different Robin costume, so there's cosmetic elements which kind of goes back to the Spider-Man game. Oh no, it's there. Oh, it's it's. Oh, that's gross. They made her logo look like the Batman logo, which is I think pretty current right now. Ugh, gross. Mr. Freeze flies now. Oh, he's a cyborg. He's a he's in a mech suit. Okay. Not like against that. The animation's good. The animation reminds me of like it's like a good.
comic book movie. Like, if, if this was just... This is one of those things... Mm, it's possible I might just watch this in cutscenes. <laughs> Which shows the love you, yeah, you could probably switch mid fight, which would not be bad. That bits to be interesting. It's an interesting mechanic. I would prefer if it was a co-op thing. If you could, if you could play with somebody remotely, and uh, you each take one character. Because I would, I would imagine you could easily make a core mechanic of a game like this that you have to have two two characters playing at the same time because, you know, Batman's not there, so he's so he's not so there to, so like, be the one. So everybody kind of needs backup because he wouldn't, but they do. Everybody at home can't wait to play it. Speaking of everyone at home, before you take off, if that's okay, uh, we'd like to answer a few fan questions. Yeah, cool. Uh, here we go. Yeah, please do. Uh, Callum from the UK asks, uh, what has driven you the most I don't know about in the amazing. direction of this game? Wow. Well... I'd say really there have been kind of three consistent ideas at the heart of Gotham Knights. Um, first is having like a whole cast of playable characters that can continue to grow and reinvent themselves. Yeah, so like those are regular Second, costumes. Ah, uh, that means that they're going to have the gross... That keeps challenging you, keeps serving up danger. The gross Red Hood costume. And finally, it's uh, fantasy of superhero team-up. And we want to be able to deliver that in co-op play. Copy Red that. Red Hood. Uh, Alistair from Kenya um, asks... What goes into deciding which characters you are it, going to develop well, yeah, the game Yeah, that's not around. what I'm looking for. But. Well, we chose characters who um, resonate with players on a few different axes. We yeah, like, I like all those. I like the one from God, that Red Hood. <laughs> the detective side, as well as the fighter, the skirt of the underworld, the urban legend. We looked for characters that offer players a unique starting point and then a long runway for growth. Ultimately, we wanted heroes that yeah, this take on the stupid ninja that thing with the eyes on the logo. I hate that thing, but it'll probably be in it. Gotcha. Okay. Um, now we have Riley from the United States. Homegrown, homegrown. Uh, Riley from the United States asks, could you give anything more on this uh, WB Games Montreal game? Any other little tidbits? We're actually sort of standing in it um the belfry will be a very important location in gotham nights yeah i mean uh you know we gotta we gotta keep a few secrets we're gonna have yeah like the fact that batman's that not dead when you bring in the court of owls you bring in resurrection and rebirth it's way bigger than just i mean that's just that's the story well is there is there anything else that you would like us to know well our game is coming out in 2021, and we can't wait for everyone to play it. Thank you all for tuning in. Thank you, Patrick and Floor, for sharing everything it's, that you yeah, have. Yeah, 100%. Out there 100%. Calling it right now. Uh, Batman's not dead. He's been captured by... Uh, he, he, was, he might have been killed, but he's definitely going to be brought back as a Talon for a moment. And then, you know, he'll come back to his senses. Wow. Guaranteed. Just... Oh, are those the costumes? Is Honestly, that Jim Lee? I think that's Jim Lee piece. Uh, maybe. It's hard to tell. It's kind of far. Really do come true. The Dick Grayson's actually the, only, the, the, the Nightwing's the only one that's throwing me off. So you can be yeah, the Batgirl costume is weird. It's like it's kind of a mix of the current and the next, or the old one. And I want to know how much 
match your loving DC fandom. So tweet your replies right now with the hashtag DC fandom. I'm so excited to be a part of this global virtual experience, the only place to hear the latest announcements from DC. We've got one for you now, so let's check out what's new with Sandman from the creator himself. Actually, I figure while we're at it, we might as well go live. Hello, have DC a conversation. Fandom. I am Yvette Nicole Brown, and I am so excited to be here with you for I the love Sandman you, Universe Into the Dreaming DC Fandom panel. Today, we'll be discussing the comic book series and how it's been expanded with new stories adapted into new media and how it continues to enthrall audiences all around the world. Let's meet our awesome panelists. As one of the most popular and critically acclaimed graphic novels of all time, Neil Gaiman's award-winning masterpiece, The Sandman, set the standard for mature lyrical fantasy in the modern comics era. It has been translated in over 15 languages and is available in over 30 territories. I am thrilled to be here with Neil Gaiman. Hi, Neil. Nice to see you again. Hi, Matt. Lovely to see you. Oh, you look so good in your little box. Now, Neil, you started The Sandman as a ground-up reimagining of an older DC property. At what point did you realize how much bigger the story could be? Did you know from page one or did you find it on the way? A bit of both. Um, in, in started in 1987 when I was a 26-year-old writer and I'd been asked to write a monthly comic for DC Comics. And all I knew was that I needed something that I could go anywhere with. with. Mm. That I, I could tell this. any kind of story no, no one because I'd never had to tell a story a month before and I didn't know if I could. So Sandman was originally imagined as something that would let me tell any kind of story I needed to tell. Um, probably by the end of the first year, I knew what kind of thing I was doing. <laughs> and I'd say by the middle of the second year, I knew the shape of the whole story, and I knew what was going to happen. Oh, was I knew dance. who was going to live and That's who was going to die, more or less. And then it was a matter of just holding on tight and hoping against yeah. all hope that I actually would be able to tell that story before it got cancelled. Um, you know, the original Sandman, the first book, Preludes and Nocturnes, is eight issues long. Mm -hmm. And it's eight issues long because at issue eight was when they would call you and tell you they were cancelling. Oh. And that you would have, you know, you, you had a year, so you had four more issues to wrap it up. So I had my whole plan was it was going to be an eight-issue storyline and then four short stories, and then obviously we'd be cancelled, <laughs> except we weren't cancelled. 30 years from the original series, what's exciting to you about seeing the story continue, both in its new adaptations and in the Sandman universe comics? Not feeling like I made a slice of history. Mm. Um, because, you know, the idea that a 30-year-old comic still has relevance wow. that a story that's 30 years old um you know these were your grandparents comics and <laughs> that they can still have relevance oh, is incredibly character. exciting so that's been part of the joy of watching over the last few years the sandman Joe universe stuff where people are just taking ideas and spinning off with them and going and having fun and building them and, and the joy of having people like Sai and now like Willow writing some of these amazing artists is a joy. And also I'm getting to do Sandman in different ways. I've been getting to do it working with Dirk Mags on 
Audible as a giant audio drama where we've done a very direct adaptation. And we're also getting to do it now with Netflix as a slightly looser but still faithful adaptation. And so all of that is, is a delight and it all makes it feel like something happening now and not like something that happened a long time ago. The Sandman Universe has a new series which started on August 4th, The Dreaming Waking Hours. And it's written by our next guest, G. Willow Wilson. G. Willow, I love your name. Oh, thank you so much. <laughs> Hi, Yvette, how are you? <laughs> it is so nice to meet you. Now, G. Willow, you first came to The Sandman purely as a fan in your teenage years. What did the series mean to you at that age? You know, I first read The Sandman in the late 90s as a teenage goth. And for me, what's interesting looking back now is that by the time I read that series, it was already part of the culture. And so I was already wearing the death outfit without knowing what it was. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, to, to pick up the series and be like, oh, this is where this comes from was really, really interesting for me. And it, it had a huge impact, I think, on my sense of how you tell stories in the graphic medium, uh, of the scope of the kinds of stories you can tell, the way that you can put on a, a twist on legacy characters to make them relevant and fresh again for a new audience. And all of those tools that I was sort of unconsciously picking up reading that series at that age, I think have, have been tremendously valuable to me, uh, you know, in my own creative life uh, reimagining different stories and, and working in, um, you know, sort of the, the, the Sandman universe. So it, it really feels like coming full circle. Now, when you learned you were going to be writing the dreaming waking hours, what did you want to bring into the universe that wasn't there yet? What was your in to the story? When you're dealing with a legacy series that is as beloved as the Sandman is, you, you have to kind of balance two things. Number one, the history that longtime readers have with the series, the emotional investments that they have in that place and those characters, and also creating a new entry point for people who might not be as familiar with the series. I was sort of going through this, this roster of characters who've lived in the Sandman universe and in the dreaming over the years and thinking, who haven't we heard from yet? And uh, at true. the time I was going through a bout of insomnia <laughs> and I was thinking to myself, my God, you know how happy I would be to have a nightmare right now because at least <laughs> it would mean I was asleep. And it was like a bolt out of the blue. All of a sudden, Ruin, this nightmare who's tired of being a nightmare, wants to be something else, was kind of there and complete. And I was like, oh, there it is. That's the end. That's how we get back into this history um, from a point of view that's, that's uh, conducive to bringing in new readers and that maybe gives us a fresh perspective on this really beloved set of characters and place. In my 20s, I used to have terrible nightmares. And then somewhere around year one of Sandman, they kind of stopped and they stopped because this every isn't time live. I'd have a nightmare, I would wake Sons up of bitches, so this happy. isn't live. That was a cut. <laughs> dribble it well, down, I'd grab it. That was a hard bed, cut. Put the details of whatever this awful nightmare was and I would just be so happy. And they just stopped and I figured that whoever sent the nightmares this is not live. of sending the, <laughs> getting the wrong reactions from you. That's amazing. I cannot wait to read Waking Hours. Okay, so let me just calm myself down, silence my inner fangirl. We mentioned how the Sandman was transcending the panels of the comic book page. In July, fans got to experience the Sandman Audible series. Joining us now is the director of that series, Dirk Mags. Welcome, Dirk. 
Thank you, Yvette. Lovely to be here. Oh my gosh. And thank you for bringing your hair because it's amazing. Neil yeah. and Dirk, <laughs> how did you guys first meet? It was a hair retrospective. <laughs> I, I, I knew we'd go there. <laughs> we, we failed to meet, although we first encountered each other in about 1992 mm. when mm. Dirk was doing, um, he was adapting the death of Superman for British radio as mm. an audio drama. Yeah. And it became a huge phenomenon in the UK. And Phyllis Hume, who was at DC Comics back then, uh, decided that we should become acquainted. And she gave Dirk Sandman graphic mm. novels, which was, Sandman was still being written. And Dirk read it and went, this is a drama. And, and what happened then, Dirk? And then the BBC said, um, I think we've done enough uh, comic book stuff with you now, Dirkie. Off you go and do some terrible comedy instead. And so that was it. We didn't do it for the BBC. And uh, I thought that was it, game over. So it was, it was very sad because I'd never read anything like it. And actually, I thought of all the things we were doing, and I'm very proud of our Superman and Batman. But I thought, wow, this guy is writing some interesting stuff here. Wouldn't it be great to put it in a studio? Little knowing it would take 28 years to actually get I'm going to have to listen Well, to it was worth the wait. Yeah. Dirk, what was the process of taking the comic book scripts and turning them into an audio experience? Really, the process with Neil was very easy because Neil is still alive, which is a... <laughs> enormous amount of help <laughs> it actually means i can talk to the author without using a ouija board and not only that but the author in this case is a supremely kind indulgent patient man who will put up with the questions of someone who normally is just a drummer and uh, and give him intelligent replies so it was wonderful to have neil accessible and the real joy was to actually get neil's original scripts which he wrote at the time for the artists and one of the things about the scripts is they're kind of like the blueprint they're kind of like the the scaffolding behind the facade which is the story and you get into neil's mind at the time when he's writing him 27 year old neil and what he wants to see and what i don't know if neil you knew this but there's real poetry in your descriptions that no one but a single artist would read well i know you know that now because you've been reading these descriptions as part of the narration but really that they were a piece of literary art in their own right the script so i had those to base things on we'd come to the decision that we were going to stick pretty closely to the uh to the, to the original work because why wouldn't you if effectively uh, there is nothing needs really changing occasionally here and there one might just you know touch slightly on the steering wheel but there is nothing much you need to do and they just rock they totally rock um so neil as narrator now is being neil the writer we're in his head and then off the page i'm going to extend this metaphor to snapping point come the characters until and we get this wonderful sort of sense of of being inside neil's head the the nicer part the classy part <laughs> the classy part <laughs> okay well besides the star actors you had to cast something like 150 other parts kudos to you what was that process like dirk well i've got to say uh, our casting team mariella and nicola who were doing a lot of the casting did a fantastic job uh, there are way many more parts than we could comfortably deal with uh, in a given situation with a studio that probably held six people 
and was really only built for one. If you know the Marx Brothers works, you'll know there's a thing called the stateroom scene where they're trying to cram into a cupboard on a, on a boat. Well, that's kind of how it was in this situation. I, I had to think of a way through this and I thought what we need is all the very best audio voice actors in London. And London is a really good place to get voice actors because, of course, BBC still runs spoken word and drama and so on and so forth. So actors as busy as Michael and, and James, who was in a play at the time, you know, you're not expecting to see them. You're getting people who normally would get a marquee, yeah. who were just who were coming in as part of the ensemble. Where's and everybody MC kind of checks their egos at the door. And we ended up with a really lovely situation. There were certain episodes, like, for example, A Midsummer Night's Dream, where yeah, okay, the temperature in the studio kind of climbed into the late 90s, but the upside was that the cast, we were pretty much doing the story from soup to nuts. So if you're in the room with them, you're watching one of soup Neil's greatest stories just happen in front of your damn. eyes with a bit of extra Shakespeare here and there. So Hello. it was a wonderful experience. Speaking of the amazing cast, we are joined by the devilish Michael Sheen. Welcome to the panel, Michael. Hello, Zach. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm good. So happy to have you with us. So, Michael, now you are on the, the hot seat. How did you put your spin on, another on show? Lucifer? I mean, I remember when I first read Sandman, um, I was, uh, I'd left Wales to come down to London to go to drama school. And, uh, and one of my uh, fellow classmates at RADA, within the first few weeks, said to me, do you read, do you read comic books? And I said, no, I don't. And I thought, I, you know, what, like superheroes? I'm not really into all that. And uh, sorry, DC. And he said, uh, <laughs> here we are. And he gave me uh, some Alan Moore. You know, he gave me uh, Brief Vendetta and Watchmen and Swamp Thing and Constantine and Sandman. And I remember reading the first few Sandmans and it just sort of, well, I mean, it did literally change my life. It kind of, it gave me, it sort of both... Uh, reinforced what I was already interested in, but opened doors to whole universes for the rest of my life. I mean, it created my taste, really, I suppose. It led me to finding out about Joseph Campbell and comparative mythology and Carl Jung and, and I mean, all kinds of stuff. It just blew my mind. And certain things really stayed with me. And one of those things was the character of Lucifer when you first meet him early on in the story and that kind of young bowie look Petri. that image i could really see like i'm, so I'm imagining i came to do this uh, that, uh, the guy that from the was show there at the back it. of my mind and i love the idea of of That's someone who looks very angelic i mean he is an angel he's the fallen angel and that young bowie with the curly blonde hair is very angelic and sort of chirpy hello you know and it sort of it takes you by surprise you're expecting lucifer to be lucifer and of course you don't have to it's like hello dream how are you and I love that idea of sort of surprising the audience and pulling the rug out from under their feet, which Neil is so brilliant at. And of course, the first thing I ever saw to do with the Sandman was the cover of Preludes and Octaves, uh, the Dave McKean art. And even from that, I knew I was entering into a whole other world. Uh, and then, of course, getting to know Dave many years later was uh, a bit of a dream come true. He is such a singular talent and such a singular vision. Um, it was weird with, with Sandman, I think we had this huge fight on our hands right in the very beginning when we told DC that the title character Morpheus would not be on every cover. 
I remember them coming back going, but how will people know this is Sandman? And we said, well, because the word Sandman will be on every cover. <laughs> and having lost that battle, they never fought again. They were like, okay, well, obviously we don't know what this thing is and they're doing things that break all the rules because you have to have the character on the cover and they aren't, so... You don't, though. They're just doing their thing. And it really was Dave having that fight. And also, around Sandman 9, Dave refusing to be fired. <laughs> Karen, Karen Berger fired him. He was in New York and she said, we don't have time for you to do any more Sandman covers. Then he said to me, I, I've, I've been fired. And I said, what are you gonna do? He said, well, I'm gonna spend the next two days painting the next eight Sandman covers and then I'm gonna send them over to her and I'll see what she says. <laughs> and that's what he did. He just made the rest of the doll's house covers. Amazing. He did all Amazing. the covers and sent them over. That's fantastic. And what was she gonna do? They were brilliant. Of course, I spent a fair amount of time with Neil fairly recently when we, we did Good Omens together. Um, so I got used to Neil being on the other side of the camera and close to me, which I liked, but he's sort of creeping ever closer, like a game of grandma's clock. Is that what it's called? Where, you know, every time I look around, he's not behind the camera now. Now he's actually standing next to me in the recording studio narrating the damn thing. I mean, if he gets any closer, we'll have to uh, have an operation to be separate. I love the fact that I get to work with Michael. Michael and I have been friends since 2010, and uh, we've been working together since 2017. And just, I, I get to just admire him as an actor more and more. And the very, very peculiar feeling of having my friend Michael standing next to me in the studio and opening his mouth and this voice that basically belongs to David Bowie playing Lucifer <laughs> coming out of his mouth. And I'm, I'm just sort of looking and going, how does he do that? How can, how can that work? And I forget that my friend Michael is also one of the greatest actors of our age. I um, it was Chris an absolute delight. We were incredibly lucky at the kind of cast who came out for Dirk, and also who came out for Sandman, because we're lucky in that there are Sandman fans everywhere. And you, we always, we get to punch above our weight. You know, we get to get Willow coming in and writing The Dreaming because she was a Sandman fan and she wants to write Sandman. We get Michael Sheen, we get Kat Dennings, we get these amazing people coming in and fighting to do it because they love Sandman. And we are so lucky in that. Like we said earlier, The Sandman is in dozens of languages and has been in print continuously for over 30 years. Why do you think The Sandman not only endures, but transcends media? For me, the answer is that I really didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> and I didn't know what I was meant to be doing, and I didn't know how to do it. So, and I did it anyway. Mm -hmm. And that just doing it, um, also meant that everything I was seeing, everybody I met, every thought going through my head, um, made it onto the page. And every way that I could tell stories, I was telling stories, I was trying new things. And I think that it hasn't aged and it hasn't dated in probably the way that it should. You can 
absolutely see places where it's completely of its time and you can see places where my heart was in the right place but I didn't have a clue what I was doing and I think that's that's fine and that's forgivable because overall I think I along with dozens of astonishing artists and along with people who are unsung like Todd Klein our amazing letterer who did miracles that then nobody notices are there you know creating lettering font styles for characters like delirium or dream or desire i thought i was making something completely disposable if i'd known i was making something that would last it, i probably would have had a lot more attention and it probably wouldn't have worked how about the rest of you how do, why does it transcend for all of you you think like i said it it it, it sort of changed my world really it, it gave me an introduction to things that have, have had a huge impact on my life and who I am today. And um, it led me, you know, it's, it is a story about stories. And, uh, and as such, you know, as Neil said, he wanted to come up with something that allowed him to tell whatever story he wanted. And because of that, it roams across time and space and through mythology and history and Shakespeare, you know, every single, it was, so, it was such an explosion of the imagination and creativity. Um, and, and yet at the same time was grounded in a real kind of edgy, earthy realism as well. So it had something for everyone, but instead of being a kind of jack of all trades, it seemed so specific. And it was just like, I mean, it's like when I, when I, as an actor working on Shakespeare. What's funny is I have never feel, actually read you can Sandman. Feel your I've read like Sandman. Because of what, what was Shakespeare does in his plays. And, and reading the Sandman uh, it was, the, was a similar like the experience. Prelude book. It, like, I could feel my the it was the oddly the most recent one that was put out prior to this whole new Sandman universe. Because thing. it is about sort of uh, Sandman, deep things like the dreaming, like reality, that's sad, man. and and uh, and, uh, and concepts Sandman. like fairy. What was the, you know, what was the it, name it, of it? It, it? Of course, it's timeless. Sandman. I mean, it's about the endless, and the story itself is Maybe? endless, and no. so it will go on forever. Speaking from the point of view of adapting it to another medium, um, what's great about it is that it's doing everything that Michael Something just described. It's this enormously, the conceit of it, not, and I'm not using conceit pejoratively there, but, but the, the, the scale of the Overture. imagination. Yep. All of Sandman Overture, which is years a prelude a series, kid, miniseries that he did. All that, that reading is just pouring out on the page and sort of torrent, I understand, on the like beginning, a tank of ideas. Not. And to have started this journey in audio, particularly where we're sticking very close to the understand it ends uh, originals, is, on is great because I know well, we all know where it's going to go, but the, the first this is a journey issue of the Sandman. Is so for me, to, I'm reading it I mean, Michael comes in and so starts I'm playing Lucifer. Oh, soon. wow. That's I like can't the next wait to hear where this is going to go. Up. And of course, we have all that to look forward to and the rest of the cast as well. So I, I, I feel like hats off to Neil, you know. But see, like the next, they spent a lot of time on this. Willow, how they spent a lot of time on this radio drama thing. The know, next me, part is going to be the fact that he mentioned really a Netflix show. About Sandman, especially the Sandman, first time that Netflix. I read it through uh, as a as a teenager, was that unexpected people were at the center of the story. I, I think you know we're, we're kind thing? of I forget. taught to look to the most obvious figures to be heroes, yeah, the politicians, the famous people, all of this. Whereas in Sandman. The guy sitting next to you on the bus could be Lucifer 
or the king of dreams yep. and as such you get stories about characters I who I think were it. kind of pushed to the margins especially at the time uh in in other types of stories right and now they're at the center and that makes you look twice at the world around you it, it makes you sort of question uh you know who is telling the story and and what point of views are we missing and and who is unmourned i mean that also really struck me is that you know like this came out in the middle of the aids epidemic when uh you know a lot of people were trying to push uh you know these deaths and and this terrible thing that was happening under the rug and sandman said no pay attention this is important these people are important um and and that was very striking to me and i i think that's part of the reason that it still feels so relevant because it kind of reminds you there are still stories we haven't heard uh you know there's still things we're afraid to talk about and uh and it's the people around you who could be the true spinners of tales um and and that really has stuck with me through the years well that answer was amazing <laughs> i i've thought about this a lot oh gosh it's <laughs> so good you will um i want to thank all of you for this wonderful time i i had the best time talking to all of you but before we go, we can't forget about the dedicated fans. We asked and they responded and we get it. You want to know about the Netflix show. So Neil, can you tell us anything? We've been asked about when it will be released. We've been asked about the cast details. What can you tell us, Neil? Uh, well, I can tell you that due to COVID, um, everything as with every other piece of television being made around the world right now, yep. um, somebody pushed a giant pause button and we've taken advantage of our pause button just to try and get the scripts as close to perfect as we possibly could, which has been really fun. Um, and that right now, as the universal pause button is starting to come off, we're starting to cast again, mm -hmm. we're starting, I'm getting these inspiring and wonderful emails with production designs, with places um, okay. so that I've only ever seen in the comics before, so they're starting now being rendered in 3D, and I'm being asked to comment on it. That's amazing. Um, there's It'll nothing that I can say. That Something sense. that I will say is part of the joy of doing the audio adaptation was going this is going to be the nearest thing we can do to an audio book of those first three graphic novels and hopefully all of the graphic novels. Um, and we're going to start it in 1988. And we're going to, it's going to end in about 1991 or 1992. It's, it, it, Sandman is a very compressed story, even though it takes place all through time and space. That's where that story takes place. Um, what we're doing with Netflix is saying, okay, it's still going to start in 1916, but the, the thing that happens in Sandman 1, the point that the story starts, is not 1988, it's now. And how does that change the story? What does that give us? what does that make us have to look at that we wouldn't have had to look at if we were setting it as a period piece? What is that going to do to the gender of characters? What is that going to do to the nature of characters? What's that going to do to the story? 
And that has been an absolute delight because it means we are always being true to the story and being true to the characters, but it gives us tremendous freedom to go, okay, if we were doing it now, what would Sandman be? And huh. that, again, is very liberating. Well, as a fan myself, I cannot wait to see it. And I just wanted to share that I was a tiny part of the Sandman universe. Check this out. It's a drawing by artist Domo Stanton of me flying through the city. Lovely. Mm -hmm. I look good. <laughs> well, thank you all so much. It's been wonderful I really chatting. Love this so we can see the, the Twitter feed here. Of course, Neil Gaiman, thanks for joining us and enjoy the rest of DC Fandom. Dreams, nightmares, demigods, and fallen angels. I'm officially in and can't wait to dig into Sandman. Right now, let's get back to hearing from our fans and see what questions they or maybe even you have. Yeah, yeah, let's let's see what the what the internet's asking. Batwoman. Yeah. That's a really good question. How will the relationship between Batman Already and Batwoman Supergirl kind change? of stands out because she doesn't technically have like a superpower. Um, everything that she uses to oh, fight bad guys Batwoman. is more of her, her intelligence and, and Luke and um, her physical strength. Um, so I do look forward to seeing that or for playing in that perspective, like from a Ryan perspective, from like this street kid's perspective, from a person that saw these superheroes growing up. Because that was uh, that was also really important for Ryan, you know, to see Batwoman, to see Batwoman be an out lesbian, and to to have a you know a superhero role model to look up to. And then now all of a sudden I'm filling those shoes. So to not only fill those shoes, but to play amongst the ones that have already been doing it, I think that that's going to be a lot for her. I'm sure it's going to be a culture shock for her. She's but I got also think that a very really similar cool it's really physique like when that world um, meets. The superhero world in, to the previous in actress whose name I forget. So I'm interested to see. That's going to be interesting. Hola, mi gente. I'm Gabby Cam, your host from Mexico City. For nearly 60 years, DC has played with the intriguing concept of the multiverse. It allows multiple yeah, dimensions all to exist at the same time, which means multiple versions of me could actually exist right now. And not only that, on these other and worlds, I could be, be a different gender, ethnicity, a villain, or even an alien. I wish I knew what kind of alien I would be. Maybe in this panel, I will find out. Let's see what this is about. I'm curious. I want to know if this is about comics, because they're really hedging their bets in the comics on alternate universes right now with Deceased and with... Um, the multiverse has been at Death the heart of metal. DC almost from the very start. But the moment most fans that think is... of is this one. In the Silver Age of Comics, when The Flash met The Flash in 1961. Oh, yeah. In she Flash was, of she Two was Worlds, the... DC created a story where The Flash name, could be Barry the... Allen and Jay Garrick at the very the same time. And created the architecture that would allow DC to be expansive, inclusive in their storytelling and in their universe, and is the world that fans now know. And also laid the groundwork for the That's not crossover what... event, Crisis on Infinite Earth. Hold on. Hold on, turn that down because she said it allowed them to be inclusive. That's not why they created it, though. Had nothing to do with being inclusive. It now gives them a way to be inclusive since DC is pretty fucking white. But curious. And how it can open up endless opportunities for storytelling, for our comic books, 
TV shows, film, and games creators. Here in the DC fandom, I am so excited to have our own crossover moment and talk about what the multiverse really is for DC, how it informs every story DC What's tells, and how fans can expect to see it on the page or on the screen moving forward. I'm Tiffany Smith, and I'm so excited to welcome our panelists here today. First up, we have got a legendary comic book artist in his own right. He is also the chief creative officer and publisher for DC, and he sits at the heart of everything DC does and is a master He's of the He's the only fucking chief anything right now. <laughs> Thank you. I fired the editor. Up, he oversees DC's films, which run the gamut from The Joker to Aquaman, and has huge plans for where DC movies are about to go next. Walter Hamada. How you doing, sir? Better. Hello. I'm good. Great to be here. Fucking better. And finally, one of the key architects of DC's Arrowverse and the amazing Crisis crossover event. He is executive producer of nearly a dozen fan favorite DC shows like Batwoman, The Flash, Supergirl, Doom Patrol, Titans, and the upcoming Superman and Lois, and many, many more. It's Greg Berlanti. Berlanti. How are you? Jesus, I knew it was Very good. Very good. Great to be here. Let's just kind of go to the top of it, and I'm going to go to you, Jim. What exactly is the DC multiverse for people who may not know? Yeah, um, you know, I think when people think about superheroes, you know, they, they know the names, the costumes, the powers, the origins, and it kind of tends to be this sort of monolithic kind of thing. But one of the things that really is distinct and unique to DC is that it's the first large work of fiction that has leaned upon this idea that we are not alone. We have this reality, this earth, but that there are alternate realities that sit side by side with us in the infinite number. And on each of these different earths, we exist, but maybe in slightly different variations, right? We might be a different gender on another planet, or we might be furry creatures. And this extends to all the superheroes. So you start seeing this. Was that a sneaky drop there, Jim? Because he said infinite number. Last I so checked, there were 52. have the freedom and uh, to create different versions and then lean upon that canon as we, you know, change up the the mythology and the pantheon of characters to better reflect the true diversity and mm-hmm. inclusivity that our audiences want and that Are our audiences back live in. Too, you and you kind of touched on it already, series. Jim, but let's go to you, Greg. How do you feel like the multiverse really informs the stories that you tell through DCTV? I would say that when we started out just with Arrow yeah, eight, nine years ago now, uh, it wasn't uh, it wasn't our intention to just replicate what everyone had done so brilliantly in comics, uh, and it wasn't until uh, the Flash came along, and and we tried in the pilot of the Flash to put the two of them on screen together, that I remember watching that first scene of the two of them together and thinking like, oh wow, this this makes me feel like the DC books made me feel like one plus one equals three. The other thing it allows for is. The vastness—you really okay. feel the vastness of of each of these different worlds, and and I think it adds to their the the importance of these heroes and the myth of them, uh, and that's that's been really exciting. And and again, the surpri- the element of surprise. If if the universe that we're all everyone's constructing, the different showrunners and creators and directors, and uh, you know, obviously with with Walter and, and Jim helping shepherd all of it, you know, uh, if it can go to all those different places and still be tethered together. I think just as an audience member, just as an audience member, I want to show up and, and not know, like, who might I see here, yeah. you know? Uh, and, and I think that's, that's incredibly exciting. Well, and I think it, it's something, too, where, you know, we talk about comic book writers getting to play with the characters in different ways. Same thing on the TV shows, where it's when you bring a character from one show into another show, 
those writers now get to play with that character or a different version of them, which I think the fans, myself included, have loved seeing on TV. Yeah, that's a lot of fun for the actors. They love it when they play a villain version of themselves from another planet. Everybody loves to play a villain. You face some of the greatest evils known to man, and you've defeated them. But if you think so highly of yourselves that you can defeat any threat that comes your way, you... How do you feel about us? And yeah, like but then they said, it wasn't, you were really thinking at the outset about getting to this place of crisis on infinite earth and seeing all of that. Can you talk to us a little bit about just leading up to that and everything that happened before and maybe like when you got to the point where you're like, yeah, this is something we really want to talk about. Well, I mean, really it was so much of our motto behind the scenes was to try and create episodes and seasons and shows that we would want to watch. And so it just inevitably kind of kept going in that direction. I, one of my fellow EPs, Mark Guggenheim, is is my own personal encyclopedia for a lot of knowledge of these things and was really, uh, you know, the centerpiece of production-wise pulling the scope of those things together. And I, I would be remiss if I didn't just say just how how much his own passion for all that has been, you know, very inspiring. But, but you know, we just, we sort of kept, you know, just uh, uh, building block by block and then truly in the last couple of years and again in working with, with I just Walter and talk and about Jim, this this tweet uh, it's really riding just, the bike in the game the first thing level. that we recorded looks so satisfying you know like, i mean it looks like riding a bike uh, so i don't really know what looks so satisfying about it but sure whatever gets you excited or we did crisis we said well what if we just say coming i missed the wonder woman thing i knew i was off on the time and and we and everyone's like okay yeah you can say that we'll have to watch the trailer proved it then now um and and that it was really epic i mean there were just so many obviously you know uh so many easter eggs and so many different little characters but them you know the, the guys calling about saying that uh if we could could we fit in possibly fit in ezra is that a possibility that's really come for the, the first time historically combining a tv character and a film character that moment that the ezra miller you know, flash it, moment i, think it, I shit myself absolutely shit myself how we can begin to do these things and and that's um that's just as a storyteller that's really really exciting well, I feel like a kid in a candy store being like, we got Crisis on Infinite Earths, what's next? Um, but can you can you talk a little bit yeah, about what's going to happen bar? in the world post-Crisis on Infinite Earths? Well, we're, we are, yes, because so many of, because certain worlds have been combined, we're, we're mindful of that now, um, you know, in terms of how that will affect certain shows. And, you know, in terms of what our crossover event will be next year, um, I think truly because of COVID right now and the pandemic, we're, our aspirations aren't quite as large. We'd just like to start shooting again. That would be, yeah. you know, not happy to <laughs> yeah, invite that would any teacher uh, characters that, uh, you know, the, the guys <laughs> want to have on. Um, I think that's, uh, that, that was truly a thrill. How did that crossover event happen with Ezra? And talk about the conversation of when you guys were like, could this work? Can we get him here? We'd been developing on the feature side our Flash script for a while, which was, all, which was leaning into the idea of the multiverse. And playing in that sandbox and and again my my i'm focused very much on the movies and what we're doing and and jim was just like would you you know since we're leaning into the multiverse would you ever do you think ezra would ever do this crossover i called picked up the phone called him and before i could even finish the pitch he was like i'm in tell me when where like 
he was he's just such a fan i think of the character and i think of the universe and he understands the importance of flash and the character of its role his role sort of in that idea of the multiverse that he immediately jumped on it and and then at that point it was just jim ran with it uh, we were in a meeting i think it was walter me uh, peter roth was there we kind of threw out this idea and peter was like hmm, let me talk to greg about this and and this was last minute too right but we had shot the crossover so yeah yeah exactly this is like <laughs> so right, right before the holidays we were editing and then yeah, so the yeah. first call was like well, wait a second <laughs> Can Flash also bring us back in time yeah. to do this? You know, yeah. because, uh... <laughs> exactly. Yeah, so we're we're on the holidays. I knew that we're, we're down the wire, but but I but I knew you know how meaningful this would be to the fans just because Flash meeting you know, that Flash's meeting created the multiverse. That the fact that this had never been done before, and that this was new footage. A lot of the stuff like with Green Lantern was kind of old footage. This was new stuff, and 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 and. You know, we had to track down the costume for Ezra. Luckily, he still fit into it. Uh, <laughs> and, and Peter, you know, spoke with Greg, and, and Greg graciously allowed us to do this at the last minute, very last minute. And Mark wrote dialogue at the last second, sent it over. It had to be kind of vague enough to not create too many expectations, but kind of solidify the fact that this is happening, that these flashes are both the flash in different universes. And the cool thing is, Ezra's Flash was never named the Flash in the movies. He got his name from meeting Grant, yeah. who knew he was the Flash. And like yeah. that's that's like so cool to have that introduction of into the canon, right? And mm -hmm. so uh, that was it. And it came together at the last minute, and um, you know it, it worked out great. Those guys kind of improvised and. Uh, the lines and it definitely was, improvised. There yeah, was, yeah. <laughs> it's a lot of improvisation. It was it was touching and funny and and uh, it was just a great moment. And then when it went live, man, it just it, people's heads exploded. And, mm -hmm. and then I think, oh, well, there were a lot of people who worked on the show um, and had shot the episode and didn't know that it was in there. So they were watching. <laughs> there were people that had been in the episode that were watching it live that night that wrote me. And said, I didn't know about this. Did you keep this a secret for me? And I was like, No, I wasn't. We. We just did it last week. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Is this cosplay? Oh, do you want a selfie, bro? No, no, I'm, not, sorry. I'm sorry. I don't. We're not. No. I'm also the Flash. You're also the what? The Flash. The Flash. The Flash. It's complicated. I like your outfit. It seems thick and comfy. Yours is pretty cool. Smooth. Seems safe. It's and breathable. Barry Allen. No! What does that mean? How can this... This should be impossible now. It should be impossible now? You don't know about the... Oh my god, don't do this to me. I don't know about the what. So... Well, I gotta talk about that, Greg, because I know just the crossover events are such a big to-do anyway, getting all of the actors from all of the shows and the sets and everything working together at the same pace and timing, and then now throwing in the film piece as well. Um, I feel like all of you guys just from talking to you and you know knowing you a little bit that you're a huge fan. So you're like, we'll do anything to make it work. But what was that moment like for you? Well, I, no, I, I was honestly, I really do experience these shows just as a fan first. And so when I heard it, you know, um, I just thought I would want to see that. You know, I, I would want to see that, let alone be a part of it. You know, and 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 whenever anybody in this business is doing stuff from that place of like, you know, how can we make this thing the best it can be? And how can we deliver something to everybody and that you know understands and loves these characters as much as we do? You know, then the impossible stuff that seems impossible ends up becoming possible. I think up to this point, we we were very 
the company was just organizing way where TV was TV and film was film and 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 oftentimes DC and Jim was sort of the arbiter of like, hey, they want to use this character, using this character, and and it, it became this like really weird situation where the fans don't they want they love the characters, they just want to see the characters, and this sort of opens the door for us to do more crossover, to really lean into this idea and just acknowledge the fact that there can be a Flash on TV in one of the movies, and you don't have to pick one or the other. You can love both, and they do both exist in this great multiverse, and and I do think that moving forward there's more opportunities for us to do things like this. And really, it, it, at the end of the day, it's about the fans. And I think the fans want to see it. And it gives us a way to sort of explore maybe some different stories and different ideas and, and use the medium in a different way than it's been used thus far. We can just dive in a little bit more into the film, DC films. Walter, for you, what does the multiverse really mean? What the multiverse allows you to do is sort of lean into this idea of you can tell just great stories and you don't have to really be as focused on it has to fit within a singular continuity. On one Earth, we have our gal and Jason and Ezra version of the Justice League, uh, and we can continue telling those stories. While on a separate Earth, we don't have to worry about the continuity, we can have a more grounded, real year two Batman and build out that world and not really worry about continuity, story elements, and et cetera. And so it's, it's really kind of the best of both worlds and allows us to take advantage of everything that's great about what we've done and really allow us to sort of expand moving forward. Um, and we're trying to keep it as simple as that. Like there is that one earth, the greater earth of sort of the, this existing Justice League, and then the beginnings of another earth that is sort of happening that's early stages of year two Batman. And then obviously there are outliers like Joker, which it doesn't exist in either earth, but that's okay. It's all part of the multiverse. Matt Reeves can continue to build out his Gotham uh, and, and he's got great plans to how to build it out and build it out in a way that's sort of innovative. And you know, they announced recently that, that there's an idea of taking that Gotham and exploring it uh, at HBO Max as a show. Like those are things that you can do because we don't have to worry about how that would impact Aquaman 2 or how that could impact the Flash, you know? And so I think it just opens doors for us in ways that you couldn't have if you had to have a singular universe. So let's get into some of the questions that we've got from fans. The first one is for you, Jim. It's from Van in the US. Now that Doomsday Clock has concluded, will we see any more of Alan Moore's comic characters crossover with the DC multiverse? Um, probably less on the crossover side. You don't want to, you know, dip into the wild too often and kind of make it, uh, too regular a thing, it becomes too commonplace. You want to save it for really big epic storylines where you've got great creators like Jeff Johns who's able to come in and uh, really deliver, you know, a story worthy of that kind of concept. Um, but we are, you know, there's a spinoff, uh, there's a Rorschach series that Tom King is writing. It's not like necessarily a crossover per se, but we are exploring more of the Watchmen universe. It's obviously uh, got kind of second life with the uh, HBO TV series, and uh, so it's been kind of fun exploring that. Um, but yeah, that's all I can share at this point. The next one is for Greg from Swarup Kumar Singh in India. The Crisis on Infinite Earths finale showed that the multiverse is gone and there exists only one universe and one Earth, Earth Prime. But since other shows like Titans, Doom Patrol, and the DC still goes on, is the multiverse actually gone or is it recreated? Um, it's not gone. It's uh, it's it's it, it, that was to really help us, sort of like the original ver reason for Crisis when they were like, oh, we have too many worlds. Let's uh, start combining things for the purpose of the books. Uh, I, I think for the purposes of the CW, those worlds are are now one. 
Um, but off, uh, off network is like being off planet in a different part of the multiverse, but it's, it's still alive and, and flourishing. The multiverse. Every existence multiplied by possibility. And spread out before space and time in infinite measure. Civilizations rose and fell. And rose again across reality's grasping expanse. Life, a precious gift, persevering in the face of every obstacle. Until, finally, the age of heroes was born. Okay, well, the next question is for you from Sumik Day in India. Will we get more multiverse movies or even Elseworlds movies like Superman, Red Sun? I think it's, yeah, it's the possibility is there. It's not, it, it really comes down to, like I said, our focus is great stories. And so if we come across the right filmmaker with an interesting story that doesn't work within our existing timeline, uh, and it would work as an Elseworld, we would definitely explore it. I can say we're not currently developing Red Sun, so... Uh, that isn't one of them, but it really comes down to when the right filmmaker or the right idea comes together, that's the beauty of the multiverse is we can explore it. We can go down the road and, and, and take a shot at it. But it, what we don't want to do is be in a place like Jim was saying, like it should be special. It doesn't, you don't want a, I don't think you want an Elseworld movie every year, uh, like, um, like clockwork, like it'd be much better for it to be a special thing. And, and we also want them to be great. We want them to be special. We want to make sure that it doesn't just sort of feel like we're just cranking out a volume of different versions of these characters. There has to be a reason for it. And I said, I think it has to be a reason that, that we're excited about that we think the fans will be excited about. So yes, the answer is yes, there will be opportunities. Uh, that one is not one that we're currently exploring. We've got one more question for all of you guys. Um, this is from Ryan Keller in the US. With the existence of the DC multiverse, how do you approach managing a wide variety of characters, stories, and universes for DC? And how would you work to help keep the audience connected with such a large variety of characters and stories? I imagine that you guys all have like a board somewhere in your house. It's like you open the doors and it's like, here's the characters in the whole world connected with yarn. I don't think you only have any of you have that. If you do, please show us right now. <laughs> uh, <yeah. laughs> It's like one of those uh, yeah, true detective scenes or something where it's just like newspaper yarn. Son of a bitch. And, yeah. I was yeah. muted. Yeah. Uh, oh, I think that is I think I yawned or whatever. So uh, what I was saying is uh, irrelevant. Uh, he, so A, uh, while they were not saying, while, while he was saying that there was not any plans for uh, Superman Red Sun, he was basically saying, if someone wants to pitch me, whatever. And I, I also said, that uh, I wouldn't care if there was an Elseworlds movie every month if it was great. That's the problem that we've had with DC movies so far is that they haven't focused on the movie being great. They've tried to make this like universe and this stuff and they've tried to like catch up to Marvel and try to make money as opposed to making great movies. And that's kind of been their downfall. But I want to say, and I want to reiterate the fact that I just tweeted this, and I kind of hope it shows up. 
in five minutes, Walter said more about the DCEU than the company has in five years. And that's the, the big problem we've talked about on this on this podcast before, um, that DC just does not communicate sufficiently. And that is like why we're mad at them about all the all the movie stuff. Uh, you know, all the there's rumors left and right. I mean, just this week, there was additional rumors. I'm going to mute this entirely. Just this week, there were additional rumors of now uh, uh, Ben Affleck's Batman also being in Flash uh, on top of uh, Michael Keaton's Batman being in Flash. And now now there is even a rumor of a Batman a uh, Ben Affleck Batman TV series on HBO Max and DC's just shut the fuck up about it. Like, DC is not communicating about it. That's why I said Walter in five minutes gave us more than the company's given us in five years. You know, certainly any kind of character with that kind of size and scope and, and that much meaning in, in the world like this. But, you know, so we want to justify our use of, of any character. But at the same time, um, ultimately, I think it's in the, you know, as we bring all of these, these characters into live action and to life, um, it's just so much more enriching and rewarding for everyone, you know, to feel like, okay, you know, the best idea wins and, and the best uh, version of the story is going to be what we're all really trying to serve. I think in the past there's been like, well, features might do something with that, so stay away from it. It could be years before that character ever showed up on the screen, if it even showed up on the screen, you know, and, and it yeah. was clear to us, like, it doesn't make sense to hold that back from the fans. Let's explore that. And by the way, if they fall in love with the character on TV and we do something in the movies three years down the road, all the better. Like, it's just a greater awareness for the characters. And so, uh, for us, there are. Yeah, you say that, but that's not true because you'll never make a Batman. You know, within a movie, it's uh, it's 120 pages and there's. Yeah, but it's a web series. It's different. TV, there's a bunch of other characters that pop up. There's always been a little unspoken thing about Batman TV stuff. Really, Jim is the, the great sort of. He's the center of everything, so he, he has to know everything that we're doing in features, everything that's happening in TV, and everything funnels to him. And and I think that's great that we have this guy who sort of knows the world better than anybody, who can sort of look at it and kind of go and come up and say, wouldn't it be great if Ezra showed up when met Grant? And the, like, you don't get that without Jim sort of being sort of at the, at the center of all this. And so it's, it's I think it's Jim's a like, great yeah, bitch, and, I'm in charge. And, and it's really just the beginning of what we're doing here. I, I think with just the stuff that we're working on now and the idea of the multiverse and really HBO max being this other venue for us to release. Ah, there he is. He said it. I think if there was that sense that TV was TV and film was film, max sort of becomes this place where we, we, you know, it's like, it'll be our clubhouse. Well, everything will gather into that space. Yeah. We'll be able to explore different opportunities and cross back over. And look at that. Oh my God. The potential of, of all the things that we can do with DC in the multiverse. Awesome. Well, I want to say a huge thank you to the three of you guys for taking the time to chat. And once again, in less than three minutes, tells us a shit ton more than DC ever would have by themselves. Come on, man. This is what we want. We want to know that you're going to use this opportunity. All right, yeah, HBO Max. It's a stupid name. It's a, it's a stupid move. Why not just make a fucking... Whatever. Warner Media should have been the name of the platform. Regardless, HBO Max, they con- he just basically confirmed, oh, hey, this gives us an opportunity to cross shit over. So that means we might see Grant Gustin and Ezra Miller on an HBO Max TV show. Web series, whatever you want to call it. Me there.
Now, if you're a big DC fan like me, then What's I'm it? willing to bet that you cannot wait for the Flash feature film to electrify the big screen. The good news is that Part you don't three. have to wait that long, because we are going right now with the filmmakers and the Flash himself, Ezra Miller. Yep, talk to me. This will be our last segment here for this podcast. I might record more for next week, though. Hello, fans around the world. It's me, Ezra Miller. Can you just move out your hair on the left side a little bit? You know, like this? <laughs> I'm Andy Muschietti, director of The Flash Movie. I'm Christina Hodson, the screenwriter of The Flash. I haven't spoken to humans in a while, so <laughs> I'm going to be rusty. I'm Barbara Muschietti, the producer of The Flash Movie. I play Barry Allen, a.k.a. The Flash, in the upcoming Flash movie. And I love you, and I'm excited to be here digitally with you. <laughs> He's such a nerd. This Flash is definitely pretty If you go to the bottom of Andy Muschietti's Wikipedia or IMDb page, you'll see that he actually has a PA credit on the 1996 Madonna movie Evita. Must ask you more about that, Andy. Telling the story of one of the greatest superheroes of the DC world is a challenge. The most important thing is that it gets to your heart. Growing up with Batman and, and Superman and Flash, it was an opportunity to reconnect with childhood experiences reading DC Comics. Flash fact, DC Comics actually stands for Detective Comics. 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 <laughs> the tone for the film, I think, is very much Andy's signature. <laughs> he can jump from funny to scary to emotional really fast. And it's also a time travel story, which I find very exciting. <laughs> Andy managed to put Glad these tiny little DC Easter eggs into the It movie. I like your glasses, Mr. Keene. You look just like Clark Kent. <laughs> I don't know about that. One, That's he was funny. vying for the job way earlier than any of us knew. Or two, while making the Flash movie, he discovered time travel for real, went back in time, and went to put all these things in just to mess with us. Either way, <laughs> well played, sir. <laughs> you meet Andy and you immediately can understand why he's the perfect choice for this movie. It's his compassion, his priority in this film of finding the heart of the story. I'm also excited to see Andy's Good. version of the Speed Force. He happened to have done some doodles that I may or may not have taken and kept. They are literally unlike anything you've ever seen before. All right. I'm intrigued. Flash fact. Did you know that according to actual comic book canon superman is both a vegetarian and a metallica fan which is of course impossible but then again he's superman batman lost his parents superman lost his planet harley quinn lost her egg sandwich but barry because he's got this ability to go back and manipulate time he's the only one who can actually go and change his own personal story. His mother was murdered, his father was framed and incarcerated, and all his journey from then was of a man trying to make things right. And it sounds like a cliche, but script is everything. When I got to read Christina's first draft, I was just blown away. The script has really captured his loquacity, his personality. So you're fast. That feels like an oversimplification. 
I fell in love with the that Flash when like I read Flashpoint. The combination of giant spectacle, action, and fun with this incredibly personal, intimate story of a boy just trying to save his mum. He's someone who has the power of changing the events of the past, but by doing so can deteriorate the very fabric of the space-time continuum. The juxtaposition between his vulnerability he and his immense power is really what's exciting about superheroes to me. Flash fact. The hippopotamus is faster than the human being. Beware. What? Every actor, every director, every writer brings something different to the character. Barry as a character, and especially the way Ezra plays him, he's a guy with so much heart, so much humor. Spending time with Ezra is kind of like spending time with Barry Allen. Really, I can feel his passion and his enthusiasm and his creativity. He was born to play this role. Flash fact. The first appearance of the multiverse in DC Comics is actually a Flash comic. Flash Comics number 123, The Flash of Two Worlds. Time travel isn't simple. It's not always a straightforward case of go back and change one thing and another thing changes in the future. This film is immensely important because if you look around at the DC Universe, obviously we have all of these characters that exist within their own bubbles. We even have now multiple iterations of the same story. I'm Batman. I'm Batman. I'm Batman. Sounds like a cool guy. This movie, by opening that door that Flashpoint did in the comics, all of these stories and characters can start to collide. What the um, hello? <laughs> this should be impossible now. It should be impossible now? You don't know about the... Oh my god, don't do this to me. I don't know about the what. The cinematic multiverse is going to be born out of this movie. It's born out of Barry's story. It blows our minds, the levels of possibility that exist in the context of this all. character and this story. And that makes I sense. I can't wait for all of us to be able to sit down in a theater and enjoy these movies in the dark with a lot of people and with great snacks. Yeah, that, that's nice. So that's obviously I don't want to spoil uh, too much of the movie. I want you to be Spoil surprised when, when you see it. Give me like There's something a that I can show you. A little sneak peek. Yes! Oh my god. You son of no, a bitch. Sorry, that's that's my fault. That's it was an accident. I don't it's it's not my personal playlist. But it might yeah, that might have been my fault. Back to you, Andy. So I'd like to share a couple of concept art drawings and it's Barry Allen's new suit. New suit! Okay, a little more streamlined. As you can see, it's more organic. Yeah! You can see light embedded in it. It has been built by his friend Bruce Wayne this time. Which one? Flash fact. The first ever Batman movie is actually an unlicensed Batman Dracula movie made by Andy Warhol with a soundtrack by the Velvet Underground. It's unreleased, but there's 39 minutes that have been recovered, and I highly recommend watching them. They're extremely strange. 
There are so many potential crossovers in the multiverse, so many cool things that you could do. I would really love them to do a two-hander with Wonder Woman. I think they would solve a lot of problems, let me tell you. I'd like to see Game of Thrones crossover. Instead of all the months that it takes traveling from Winterfell to King's Landing, it would happen in two seconds. Barry <laughs> Allen in the Iron Throne. I actually already have a weird behind-the-scenes DC multiverse crossover. My best friend growing up is Rob Pattinson's older sister. So oh. I've actually known the new Batman since he was two years old and in diapers. Aww. I'd like the Flash to meet in the multiverse Nicolas Cage. Not the Nicolas Cage Superman that never was. I'd want the Flash to meet Nicolas Cage, the person in this world who I believe probably does have the ability to transcend space-time. It's a real proposition. It's a real proposition, he says. All right, all right, so. I also can't wait to hear more about The Flash. Thank you, Andy, Barbara, Christina, Beyond and Batman. Fun fact, we all know there are several Flashes, Wally West, Jay Garrick, Bart Allen, and Barry Allen. Did you know when Barry isn't working to save the world as a Flash, he's working to save Central City as a police scientist? Okay, that's all for me right now. I'm going to turn this over to Jaden Rodriguez and I'll see you back here soon. G'day DC Fandom, I'm Jaden Rodriguez from Australia and I'm so excited to be here with you all. That threw me off, I just I'm not gonna, gonna say lie. that being a total superhero freak that I am, I'm totally loving being a part of this epic DC event. And you can't talk about superheroes without talking about the man himself. The man Batman. himself. I mean, dude, can you imagine how awesome it Wait would be minute. to be Batman? Beyond In fact, if there's anything Batman. better than watching Batman, it's watching two Batmans or Batmans. <laughs> it doesn't matter. That's what is this? Two fan favorite Dark Knights who happen to reside in the opposite ends of the Bat spectrum. Ah, Wait. Terry, this is top priority. Go ahead, Bruce. A Wayne Powers deep space probe is receiving an anomalous communication. I'm patching it into you now. Unfortunately, is that, is that you? Clearly that's not me, Terry, but apparently it's what passes for me on this earth. Whoa, who's the dweeb? That would be Robin's counterpart. The Joker. <laughs> no way, that's the Joker? That's not this? the Joker, it's a Joker. I don't know, Bruce. Your friend with the Liberty Bell hair said the Joker. No matter which universe he's from, he's a vicious and deadly psychotic. He's throwing fish at you right now. One thing's for sure. This Joker could up his thug recruitment game. Yeah, pick up a fish and start tossing already, slacker. Wait, is he... is he stealing a fish? Oh, this has got to be the dumbest heist. <laughs> the fish snapping of the century! <laughs> Hey, swell costume, by the way, Bruce. Terry. Must have taken forever to get the iron-on bat symbol just right. <laughs> Terry! <laughs> oh, this ought to be good. Actually... Eh, that ride's pretty shway, Bruce. Don't let them catch you from behind! What an odd thing to say. That is a very odd thing to say. Uh, hey, Bruce, I just noticed something about your cowl. Again, not my cowl. But what is it? Are the eyebrows painted on? Don't be. Oh, yeah, they are. 
You know, my great aunt does the same thing with her eyebrows. Totally works for Aunt Phyllis. What the? Now what's going on? Where's this? I'm not sure. But whatever it is, it must be built on a hill. Joker could really stand to run a comb through that wig, huh? Oh, easy, boy wonder. Let's not forget we're wearing elf shoes and support hose. And who is he even shushing at this point? What's with the 57 random telescopes lying around for what no What is with the 57 random telescopes? Something's fishy here, Batman. Ah! Beautiful! <laughs> the Gotham High girls volleyball team's gonna be ticked when they find out their net was stolen. Actually, I'm not sure which is more disconcerting. His trap, or the fact that these two can't seem to find their way out of it. How about a fish fry? Ooh, fish fry guy here is angling for a promotion. Settle down there, fish fry. <laughs> what? Wait a is this? What is it? Look at the Joker. Is it my imagination, or does he have a mustache? Now that is just not right. How <laughs> is this? This is outstanding. Wow, worst hot tub party ever. But on the bright side, Robin is already wearing his bathing suit. I couldn't possibly deprive that poor hungry clam of its dinner. Hold up! That's a clam? <laughs> Very touchy. Oh, boy, wonder what a succulent hors d'oeuvre you should make. It really is quite unsettling. <laughs> well, a giant man-eating clam is... Let Wait, you're talking about the mustache again, aren't you? It's mesmerizing. It's mesmerizing. <laughs> I would have gotten out of this in two seconds. Aunt Phyllis could have gotten out of this in two seconds. By the way, Bruce, what do you feed paper mache? Oh, what a hideous face! Oh, be oh, nice, oh, Venus. Oh, Robin's sitting right next well, to you. <laughs> you get it? She was talking about... Never mind. Mollusk? Some mollusk! Push yourself away, Robin. Is it weird that part of me is rooting for the clam? Him against the side! Robin! I'm out of I was actually feeling bad for Robin, but then I saw those elf booties again, and well... Hey. What happened? That's the end of the transmission. What do we do? Not sure. But I know what we won't do. What's that? We never tell anyone what we, we saw here today. What we saw. Seriously? Not even the mustache? Never. I can tell you're serious. <laughs> know how? Your eyebrows. Very expressive on their own. Why you ever chose to paint? <laughs> Don't you start. Oh, Batman Beyond's on DC Universe. Is that what that it. was about? Batman has announcing? such a great sense of humor. Okay, oh, man. devoted okay. fans teamed up to show out in force at the DC Fandom. Let's take a look at some of the best group cosplays. And coming up is a showdown like you've never seen before. Stay tuned for lots of fun and games with the Suicide Squad. Oh, that's the new, the new game. All right, all right. We'll hang out for that as well for a little bit. That was great cosplay, holy crap. That's really good.
Cosplay is always a very interesting proposition because you see people that try really, really hard and do a really good job and put in the effort, and then you see people that just like buy a skin suit and then that's like their costume. And I think, I don't know. I feel like I, I appreciate cosplay with a lot of effort. See, stupid thing again. It's gonna be the same bit. Come on, man, let's go. At least it's <laughs> <laughs> oh God, so weird. I like watching the stars, Orion and the plow. The plow. Oh man. Polaris. And the big triangular thing. <laughs> I win! Jesus. Alright. Oh, this is the movie. I thought this was gonna be the game. Even though we are in the Hall of Heroes, Trailer? I know that if I was ever in trouble, I, I would call upon this next group to help me out. As That'd you be know, a terrible idea. The Suicide Squad is not in heroes. February that filming had wrapped for the Suicide Squad. And right now, oh, he's taking have. a break from the edit bay to be here with us they did to discuss his vision for the film, answer fan questions, and have some insanely crazy fun with the cast. And, of course, share some never-before-seen content with us a trailer i hope because that would this be this is amazing awesome. i'm so excited to be here at dc fandom with all the amazing dc fans as many of you know the suicide squad is by far the most fun i've ever had making a movie i am still working hard on it every you day, cheating whore night but we're having a great time creating Fucking something incredibly special for people uh, and i'd like to take this break now to take some questions from you guys Hey, James, when was the first time you ever read Suicide Squad as a comic book? And uh, who was your favorite character? I this guy's testing him. John Ostrander's original run of Suicide Squad. So I remember reading the very first issue of that run and falling in love with the concept, with the characters. They I cut the out movie, the, the Dirty Dozen. Um, they cut out the comics go to Authority the 60s, logo. That's and this funny. was like a super villain version of the Dirty Dozen. And I loved the character of Amanda Waller, who was so different for the time, uh, you know, in terms of being such a, uh, a strong woman, but not kind of an anti-hero, but kind of bad, kind of good, not physically the same as everybody else you saw in the The most books. dangerous woman in the DC universe. And I just thought she was so cool. And of course, I loved all the characters and, and, and Boomer and, and everybody. And I just uh, had a, a great time reading that initial run. My name is Maja Kondukar, and I'm a loyal DC fan, and I'm making Clearly. this video from Takabandish. I have a question for James Gunn. Which DC character were you most excited to write about for the Suicide Squad movie, and why? Maisha, I think the character that I was the most excited to write for was Harley Quinn. I've loved this character oh, ever since shocking. Paul Dini first Harley put her Quinn. in animated shows. I think that there's a, a, a sort of chaotic trickster god nature to her, where she's just always going off in random directions and as a writer 
that's a really fun thing to deal with because she takes you in places where you. Gee, don't I know wonder who the Suicide Squad movie so is going to focus on me again. For Harley, and a lot of it was Harley doing some of the writing for me during the Suicide Squad. Hey, I'm Jake from State Farm, and massive amounts of damage that you must have had the squad rack up. Fucking Jake from State Farm. Can you confirm the number of crashes and explosions? You know, asking for a friend. Hey, Jake, I cannot confirm the exact amount of explosions. Was that an ad spot? But I will say that we have about as many explosions and crashes in this film as, as in any film ever. In fact, the guy who did all of our special effects on this film, Dan Sudik, who has done almost all of the Marvel movies, great movies, uh, yeah, says you there filmed are more some effects of them, in this film than all of those movies he's done combined. So we have quite a huge special effect explosion extravaganza for you guys. I think that you was said Alexander's spot. run was influential, but what else inspired you to feature these under the radar characters? That is an amazing question. I'm one I'm excited to answer because I, Are they I actually had a long talk so with John Ostrander uh, uh, you know, about this because he came and he visited the set. And I said, I don't think of this movie so much as an adaptation of your comics. I think of this movie as a sequel to your comics, to your run in the comic book. I always forget Vixen what was on What would John Astrander be doing with these characters, you know, if it was 30 years after he first started? Um, and so 40. I think that it has the spirit and the lifeblood of the Ostrander books, but I also like to continuously take in new supervillains, other supervillains who have sometimes been in the Suicide Squad comics over the years, but also a lot of, you know, you know characters like Polka Dot Man and Rat Catcher, who have never been in the Suicide Squad, but who are just like Polka great Dot Man is DC villains uh, who have something to offer and that we could have put into the Polka movie. Dot so Man. that is where my biggest inspiration comes from. Who were your favorite villains as a kid? And did working on this movie teach you anything new about these quote unquote villains? Wow, who are my favorite nope, they're villains definitely villains. Up? Well, I was Not a quote huge unquote. Batman fan. And I'm gonna tell you who my favorite villain was and maybe it's a little embarrassing, but I'm not embarrassed by it. It was Batmite. I loved Batmite. I thought That's he very was hilarious. It's one of the worst characters. Creepy in the DC as heck. So Batmite was definitely my favorite supervillain. And don't think I didn't think no. about putting the uh, Batmite in the Suicide Squad because I did. I saw the set photos of the Suicide Squad, and I absolutely love the direction of the movie. But is it true that Flora Borg is playing Javelin Man? And if so, why? Also, is Nathan Fillion playing Blackguard? Hey, Milan. So, uh, is Flula playing Javelin Man? Well, his name isn't exactly Javelin Man, but in mere moments, we are going to see who Flula and Nathan are playing in the film. Um, and uh, and I'll, I'll, I'll give you a hint. One of them you got pretty correct, and the other one you didn't get correct. The Starfire? Um, and there's a lot of people all over the internet who have theories about who people are playing, and sometimes they've been right, and sometimes they've been wrong. And so I guess we're going to answer all those questions in a minute. Um, but I will tell that, you one I'm not thing. Lie. That looks awful. That looks like it's the... is the funniest guy in the entire nice. world and incredibly Justice strange. Uh, but awful. he's become a good friend through all this, and he's a great guy, and Nathan, of course, is. But in all my movies, he's already been a friend. Here it comes, the time that so many of you guys have been waiting for. Who is who in the yes. squad? You've heard a lot of the actors that are in this movie. You don't know who they're playing. Maybe you have some good guesses. Maybe you're right. Maybe you're wrong. 
We'll have to see. Let's see. But here it is. Everything. You know the deal. Successfully complete the mission, you get 10 years off your sentence. Good, obviously. Welcome to Task Force X. These are your brothers and sisters for the next few days. So they recast Rick Flag. The Bob. Javelin. Shocking. Costumes are decent. Well, her costume. Polka dot man. Fucking shit. Rat catcher. Oh, Rat catcher 2, I'm sorry. Idris Elba. Blood sport. Okay. King shark. Mom Gal. Oh, wow. Thinker. Alright. I like her. Fucking Pete Davidson. A pavilion. Still boomerang. John Cena! Peacemaker. Alright. I mean. Rat Catcher 2? This is only in theaters. We are introducing the cast and the characters they're playing of The Suicide Squad. First of all, we have Idris Elba as Bloodsport. John Cena as Peacemaker. Yeah. David Dasmalchian <laughs> as Polka Dot Man. Polka Dot Man. Jai Courtney as Captain Boomerang. Again. Nathan Fillion as TDK. TDK. Lula Borg as Javelin. Who else TDK? This is like a really messed up Brady Bunch. Daniela <laughs> <laughs> Melchior as Ratcatcher 2. Pete Davidson is Blackguard. Mailing yeah. Ng as Mangal. Michael Rooker, unfortunately, is Savant. Unfortunately. <laughs> I deal with the devil. Peter Capaldi as The Thinker. Yeah. John Gunn is Weasel. <laughs> Steve Agee is John Economos and our on-set King Star. Yes. Alicia Braga as Soul Soria. Juan Diego Boco is General Presidente Silvio Luna. Real great guy. Joel Kinnaman is, of course, Rick Flagg. Ella Davis is Amanda Waller. And, of course, Margot Robbie as Harley Quinn. Hey, here. Together again. Good. 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 We're gonna have some fun here. We're gonna do we're gonna have some uh competition, which is not fun unless there's somebody winning and somebody losing. And so I would like to have a couple of team leaders, and I think it only makes sense. 
that we have the people in charge of the Suicide Squad, Viola Davis and Joel Kenneman, as our team leaders. Yeah. Hey, team leaders. Yeah, why don't you guys go ahead and let's, uh, let's pick teams. Bloodsport. Thanks, but thanks. Uh, definitely. All right, uh, hey. I'll take uh, my girl, Harley Quinn. Yeah. All right. Yay. I will take Savant. Oh, good for you. Wow. What a bad mistake. That is a bad pick. <laughs> that is. <laughs> and, and you guys have scenes together, too. I can't believe you made that mistake. I tell you, you just oh. made a big mistake. <laughs> John Cena. I'll take John Cena. <laughs> I want to reassure you that that is a horrible decision. You no, I, I already know that. I know. <laughs> I'm going to take my boy. King Shark. I want King Shark. <laughs> okay, um, I will take my man Boomer, Jai Courtney. Yeah. All right. Wreck Catcher. So it's 100% set in the universe. Wreck Catcher 2. <laughs> 2. <laughs> I will take Flula Borg, the Jabba. Yes. I guarantee we will lose. Yes. <laughs> I'm going to take Polka Dot Man. Thank you. Yes. I'm going I'm 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 to have to grab the weasel. <laughs> oh, good man. That's, That's not my... on Rooker's team. Yeah. The weasel. Yes. Is that everybody? What about a name? What about a... What's the... Uh, what you uh, 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 really feels like high school again. It totally feels like high school. This is one of those, like, the basketball team. Yeah, Great idea. Hey, I'll hey. pick the thinker. Nathan you guys are losing already. DK. Soul Soria. El Presidente. What about Mongo? I got picked by Joel. Yeah, thank you, Joel. I'll just watch. Pete, this is sad. Victory cigarette. Oh, man. Yeah, okay. I was going to pick Blackguard. Okay. <laughs> that went well. I think that went really well. <laughs> and then let's start off. We're going to go head to head, and we're going to start off with the team captains. Let's do Joel and Viola. I'm going to pick it. This is a good question. Okay. I know both of you have know so much about the lore of DC Comics. <laughs> There's a multiple Movie choice. Costumes way better. So you don't have to look terrible. terrible. Out of all the squad members, who are the only yeah, characters to have had their own comic series? There's two of them. And I'm going to list four options. A, Harley Quinn and King Shark. B, Harley Quinn and Amanda Waller. C, Harley Quinn and Peacemaker. Or D, Harley Quinn and Boomerang. Which two have had their own series? Harley Quinn and Boomerang. Man! Uh Harley Quinn and Peacemaker. Boom! Yes! Yes! That is correct! Even look, look! Oh. Even I knew that! Oh, oh Viola <laughs> Davis knows some shit. Shocking. <laughs> Viola <laughs> Davis knows some shit. Polka Dot Man! Polka Dot Man! Again? Mr. Sean Gunn. Weasel versus Polka Dot Man! How the hell is it? That's some nepotism for your ass, man. He always gets in his movies. How are you? I've got a question. 
What career military man probably wishes he never followed in his dad's footsteps? Joaquin, the great Coachy Loco! Rick Flag Jr. I, I, I had Super Grover. Is Super Grover... It's not Super Grover. Wrong, I swear to God. Wrong. Wrong Sean Gunn is in every single James Gunn movie. Points for creativity? Some yeah, there's no multiple choice. You just got to answer right away, and you have to have it be the right choice. All right, we're going to mute that. Let's see. There was a Wonder Woman trailer. Wonder Woman. Let's just go to YouTube first. Wonder There it is. One hour ago. Let's watch it. This world is not yet ready for all that you will do. Your time will come, Diana. And everything will be different. Yeah, Spider-Man and some lightning is cool. That's the end of the first trailer, teaser, whatever. Citizens of the world. I'm here to change your life. Anything you want. Anything you dream of, you can have it. Look like you saw a ghost. Because you died. Diana, look at you. It's like now one day has passed. She's immortal. I don't want to be like anyone. I want to be an apex predator. You've always had everything, while people like me have had nothing. Well, now it's my turn. Get used to it. Oh, shit. I've never been one for rules. The answer is always more. Fly. They will never find us. I forgot to tell you. What? Radar. Will they? Will they? <laughs> <stay out of? laughs> Fucking radar. Okay. Barbara, what did you do? Become a supervillain. I really want to know what the purpose of the armor is. You know, I'm not so keen on this one. I figure uh, you are, but you know what? I'm ready to go. I think we can do better. Parachute pants? Yeah. Um... Does, it, does everybody parachute now? <laughs> uh, all right. All right. It looks good. It looks good. It looks good. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, I'm in. I'm in. It's Wonder Woman. Of course I'm in. But, um... I just really want to know what the purpose of the armor is, because the armor is iconic from uh, from Kingdom Come, and that was uh, uh, what what they call it. It was uh, Amazonian like war armor or something. Like it was, they only put it on to go to war. Um, so, yeah, I'm interested. I'm interested to see what where where this is going. So we have the Suicide Squad announcements as to who's who. We have the Wonder Woman trailer, the Gotham Knights uh, game, which looks good. Um, not a day one buy for me, but that's just me. Um, 
Sandman stuff. Uh, I I might have to I might have to is the is the Sandman uh, audiobook Sandman audiobook audio drama whatever they call it is it uh, oh it's free with your Audible trial maybe I'll I'll do an Audible trial and listen to it but um, yeah seems pretty exciting as far as what they've announced so far it's going to be interesting to see what else is coming tonight today. Uh, there's still, I think the Suicide Squad game is going to be announced. There is a secret, uh, unless this Gotham Knights thing was the secret, um, Montreal games panel. Uh, let's see. Let's, let's just take a look at the schedule real quick. Schedule.dc. There it is. Da-da-da. Yeah, so I missed that. There's that. So here we are here. Then there's Legacy of the Bat. Uh, the Joker put on a happy face. I'm not sure what that's going to be about. Jimmy Lee portfolio review, because who cares? The voices behind the cowl. Snyder cut. That is at 4.30 p.m. Is that like, I don't know, is that local time or what? Um, the Flash TV panel. There's still some stuff coming. All right. So might have to leave this on record and come back to this in another week uh, for next week's episode. Uh, but that is going to be it for this one since, uh, well, we're, we've been at this for about two hours and, uh, I don't want to, I don't want to just beat a dead horse. I'm not going to drop a five hour podcast. That's ridiculous. So we're going to, we're going to call it here and then we're going to be back next week. For those who watch live, thank you very much for hanging out. And, uh, for those who are watching, listening after the fact, thank you for listening. Thank you for watching and we'll see you in the next one.